Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on, guys? Coach Luca's back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. I got my caffeine on the side, uh, so which means we are ready to rock and roll. Uh, and I'm with a guest that I'm super excited about that also is a big fan of caffeine, so I know we're going to get along great, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, my friend Jordan Saya. And, and here's the thing, I'm, like Jordan's uh, somebody that I've known about for a long time. And uh, thankfully, I say these last couple of years, we've bumped into each other more often and started communicating more often. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I wanted to have him on a show for a number of different reasons. But I really do feel like you guys are going to get a ton out of this. And he's somebody that's kind of created his own path in, in the industry, done some amazing things, and now helps a ton, a ton of people transforming their body. And also what we're going to dig into, helping other coaches build online businesses. And, um, and so welcome to the show, Jordan, man. I'm, I'm so happy to have you here, man. Thanks for having me, man. I got my coffee right next to me as well. So ready to go. I got my bang. I got a little more, uh, I would say, caffeine per square. Uh, <laughs> guess, but but we're, we're good, man. We're good. So, so here's, yo, so I, I always, you know, when I, when I have somebody coming on the show, I go through stuff. I write a couple of notes. But for me, it's all like more conversation, even discovering for myself a lot of insights, you know, I would say selfishly. Uh, but the first thing with you that I wanted to do is, Talk a little bit about the journey. Sometimes we'll get people on and, you know, go like right into it. But you, you know, you've done a lot of stuff from, you know, being at Westside Barbell to going into powerlifting, breaking world records to then, you know, training Gary Vaynerchuk to doing a lot of online coaching. But to me, it's like I wanted to connect the dots looking back. You know, it's like Steve Jobs said, well, you can't connect the dots moving forward. You got to do it moving back. Like the things that as you look back and you go, hey, what led you from one thing to another to to why you're in this position right now and, you know, doing what you love doing. But obviously, you know, as you were going through the process, cause I think it's important for people to kind of go and see the insights of somebody that's gone through different phases and is in a place now doing what they love on passion side and the business side. And, you know, what led you there? What were those decisions and what did that path look like? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could talk for, for days about this. So if I ramble too much, just tell me to shut up. But um, I think it started from wrestling. I grew up as a wrestler. I started wrestling at eight years old. And um, I was obsessed with it as my whole life was focused around wrestling. And when I got into high school, I made varsity as a freshman and I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. So I had to cut from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And as a freshman competing against juniors and seniors, I was good from a technical perspective and I was good from an endurance perspective, but my strength wasn't there. So I had to figure out how to lose weight and get stronger in order to actually be competitive uh, as a varsity freshman. And so I, what I had to do was I applied to a gym in a couple, a couple towns over from me. I was like, Hey, just like, let me come in, take the trash out, clean the floor, just intern. And you can teach me through sort of osmosis, just uh, how to get stronger. And very fortunately, they took me under their wing. Actually, the, the first gym I applied to said no. The first gym I applied to, they were like, yeah, we don't want a high school kid walking around. So uh, I applied to another gym and they said yes. And I was very fortunate. They were like super kind, very science-based. They're the ones that introduced me to Eric Cressy, Dan John, Pavel Satsulin at like 14 years old. 
so I, I got into the very science-based strength and conditioning world from a very young age. And, uh, and that was, the, that was it. Like from that point on, I, I fell in love with it. And uh, I was coaching there every day, five days a week for my entire high school career. I remember I, my first client, my first ever like actual client at that gym was a 68 year old guy named Fred. And, uh, his only goal was to be able to pick his grandson up without hurting his shoulders. And, um, I always think back to that specifically because most, and most kids, they, they, especially myself at the time, I just wanted to look good naked and, and perform better on the mat. Like that was it. That's all I wanted. I, I didn't really have this perspective to understand that there were other goals or other reasons for why someone might want to work out. And so to have that at a very young age, 14, 15 years old, be forced to think critically in a way of, okay, well, this guy wants to work out, but doesn't care what his abs look like, doesn't care about anything. He just wants to be able to lift his grandson up. I got a lot of perspective and good training at a very young age. And that's why I fell in love with coaching is because I loved that aspect. I loved working with different people and coaching different people. And, and that was really the beginning of it. And then sort of from there, there was a, lo a lot that happened. I, I trained at Westside Barbell, trained at Cressy Performance, started my own website, and, and then ended up working with Gary Vaynerchuk. Was, was that like okay, a couple of things to unpack? I First of all, I'm like, man, you got the, the right direction right from the get-go, right? Because when you say, hey, I was exposed to Eric Cressy and Dan John. And I mean, for me, that was similar when, when I was younger that I started reading the right things and so grateful for it. But that's, a, I would say, a very great age to be exposed to the best and then that, make that your standard, right? I mean, you had a really good standard to look up to and study to go in the direction that you did. Uh, that's the second thing I wanted to, to ask you is, is you know, at that point in time, were you like set, okay, man, this is what I want to do, right? Because you moved forward to, to West Side and then, uh, but were you like, hey, I, I want to be a trainer, I want to be a coach in this industry at that point in time? Was, was that where you were already, your mindset was at or did that develop? So that's where my mindset was, I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. And I also like part of me still wanted to be like a, an Olympic wrestler, even though I was nowhere near good enough to ever be at that point. But I didn't understand that at the time. Uh, I was like, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach and be like Olympian wrestler. My mom, she was like a very old school boomer. Uh, I want you to have a stable job. She didn't think personal training, strength and conditioning was anywhere near that. So she kept saying, she kept trying to push me more towards the physical therapy route. So I remember at one point, she, she was like, why don't you try and get an internship at a physical therapy place just like to see what that's like? Because she would always say, no matter how old you get, no matter, no matter what, you're always going to have a job as a physical therapist. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Why not? So I remember I got an uh, internship at a physical therapy place in a, town, in a town called Lexington, a couple of towns over from me. And I was there for about two months in my sophomore year of high school. And I hated it. I just absolutely hated it. And it wasn't because I was the intern when like doing stupid stuff or like just like, you know, filing papers, cleaning stuff. But the atmosphere of physical therapy was not what I enjoyed. I, and, and I'm actually, it was one of the best experiences of my life because I very, at a very young and early age, I learned that it's equally important to know what you do want to do as it is to know what you don't want to do. And so when I took those couple of months away to sort of focus on physical therapy, I was craving strength and conditioning. I was craving getting back to more peak performance. So there was a brief period of time where I looked into something else, but I, I knew from a very young age, like that's what I wanted to do. Man, that's great. And, and so I noticed that like you also have the bachelor's um, degree in, what I'm looking it up right here, health and behavior science, right? With a focus on strength and conditioning. Now, the, the reason I'm, I want to bring it up is because 
how did that play a role for you getting it? But also like, what's your thoughts now, obviously, because you've done everything from obviously interning to learning from, to learning from the best, to being salt, you know, self-taught in a lot of ways as well. The comparison between, because there's so many people still to this day, you know, on a weekly basis, we do a ton of internships at the gym that the question comes up, right? Should I go and do bachelor's? What should I do it in? You know, is it worth it? So on and so forth. Just what's your, what's your viewpoint on, you know, I would say somebody that's coming up in, in industry or trying to make a career out of it when it comes to, you know, doing college, getting a degree, what to get a degree in and what did it do for you? And what's your viewpoint on it? You know, good, bad, ugly, everything in between. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just be very blunt with my experience and, and what I think people should do. But by the time I got into college, you have to remember, I had already been coaching and studying from very high level strength and conditioning coaches for about four years, actually a little bit more. Cause I took a year off after high school. Uh, I took a year off and I traveled to Israel for a year and I just like sort of did my own thing. So I had already been studying and learning from high level strength and conditioning coaches for about five years. Um, I had, I had actually been a lot of my, my friends, cause I grew up in outside Boston mass. And so Eric Cressy, he got his start at a town over from mine. So I would actually go to Eric Cressy's gym when I was a kid, because a lot of my buddies who played baseball were one, some of Eric's first clients. Um, so I had a very, very, I had a huge advantage in terms of learning from literally the best in the world at a young age. And so I went into exercise science for college, that was my first, that was what I, I was expected to get my degree in because I was told that's what you need to do. But very early on, within the first month and a half, two months, I realized that at least my professors in exercise science had no idea what the hell they were talking about. They'd never actually coached anybody. They were teaching things that had been, that were, they might've been the standard 30, 40, 50 years ago, but they hadn't kept up to date with the research. And it was very clear they'd never actually been on the floor coaching an individual based on the things that they were saying. And, and the types of things they were teaching. So, um, and I think one of the most important lessons I learned from actually coaching people for four years before I went and exercise science was you could have the best program in the world. You could have the best nutrition plan in the world, but if someone's not going to follow it, then it doesn't matter. Like you could have the absolute best thing on paper, but if they, if they don't follow it consistently, it's irrelevant. So I actually, that's why I ended up switching to behavioral health psychology, which is just because I was like, listen, I'm not going to learn that much from these people. And either way, I'm so passionate about exercise science and strength and conditioning. I'm going to keep studying on my own and, and learning on my own and doing certifications and learning from the best of the best and getting internships. So I don't need to have this degree in order for me to be sit, to say I'm qualified in it. So I switched to behavioral health psychology and uh, that was probably one of the best decisions I made because I really started to dig into the science of, of psychology and human behavior and emotion and understanding why people are making the decisions they're making, uh, more of the science behind motivation, the science behind uh, behavior change. And that carried over much more, had much more of an impact to my coaching than any bit of exercise science did. Man, see, I didn't know these things, right? Which is why I'm glad I asked you this so much because we have so much in common on this side of things. First of all, very, very smart move. Because for a lot of people, that would have been something that, you know, you start something and you go like, nah, I got to finish the strength and conditioning. But you're like, hey, I'm studying this anyways. I actually get a lot more out of this, like this degree, because it's actually the thing that drives everything. Habits, behaviors, what we do, why we do it. And because uh, for me, it was about eight years ago now. I'm looking at the timeline and where, you know, I was so geeked out on training. I could break down anything you wanted about anything like you know, sets, reps, vectors of force production, yada, 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 all that stuff, right? But I realized that I would get results with some people 
and then some people get okay results and some people wouldn't get results. And I was still in that phase of, you know, blaming others, you know, ah, <laughs> you're not committed, you know, you're not committed to this. Uh, and actually it was a lot of, you know, crazy stuff in my own life that happened that made me question myself. Like, why do humans do, you know, why did I do dumb stuff? Why do we do irrational things? And started realizing that in other areas of my life, I had the same issues that many people had with health and fitness mm -hmm. like, where I'd be like, Oh, why can't you just eat, you know, healthier? Why, you know, you tell me you want this, but you know, but then I started diving super deep into, um, I would say environmental sciences and behavior change and habits and our brain and like just went crazy on it. And obviously as you start doing that, you know, it opens up a whole world of, Oh wow. That's why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. right? I got so intrigued with that. And for the coming years, and, and I mean, to this day, I just study it like crazy, but what has started happening, I understood it better and was able to be more empathetic, better communicator, better active listener, started, you know, studying tons of communication and got better and better, better results. The people that used to not get great results started getting better results, not because training was changing, but just because I was better able to understand them, hear them, coach them, communicate with them. And it was just like this light bulb moment of aha. And it's so crazy. I mean, like I said, that you went that route and you saw that from the get go, which is incredible. But We'll, we'll, cause we'll talk more about this and I, I definitely want to dig into this. Right. Uh, cause I, I want to dig into the training and nutrition, but really that that's what drives everything, right? If you don't, if you don't apply, you don't do it. It doesn't matter how smart, you know, per se, the training and the nutrition was, uh, if they can't make a change. And so with, with that, I want to kind of transition into, cause I want to wrap all this into it, like the behavior change part of it and the big lessons of what you've seen, but, on the side of, you know, you, you train a, a, a ton of people. I uh, should I say you coach many people. What are the, and I know this is like, because it depends on, on the person, but what are the biggest kind of, if you had to, you know, make your own 10 commandments and it don't, doesn't have to be 10, but what are those big things that you've seen that help people, you know, change when it comes to health and fitness? You know, putting on lean body mass, losing body fat, just getting healthier. If you had to draw a line through, all the different people that you've coached and said, well, you know, obviously there's, there's different scenarios, but here's the thing that I do know. It's like your little commandments when it comes to training and nutrition. Yeah. I mean, I'll say the, I'll say like the one commandment for sure. Like the, the one that must be met the, especially if you want long-term results, right? The one that I've found the one single thing that I think is consistently the most under discussed, misunderstood thing in the entire industry that without question plays out to show the greatest effect for long-term results is self-efficacy. And this is a term that most coaches don't know. And I started writing about it. I think the first article I wrote about it was in 2012 or 2013. And, and maybe four people read it at the time, like maybe four. Um, it was just like, that was at the beginning of my career when no one knew who I was or anything, but self-efficacy is, is a term that if there's one lasting impact that I could have on coaches around the world, it would be, it would be helping them understand this. And basically self-efficacy it's, it's like self-confidence, but it's a little bit different. It's not, it's not your confidence. It's your belief in your ability to succeed at a given task. Um, and, and if you really look into behavior change psychology and behavior change research, then you'll see a, a researcher named Bandura. I believe his name is Albert Bandura or Alfred Bandura. Uh, he's like the leading researcher on self-efficacy and he's done 
overwhelmingly tremendous work on showing why it's so important. And especially in regard to, he, he has really done it in regard to a lot of uh, alcohol cessation, smoking cessation, but there's been a lot of it in regard to um, exercise adherence and changing your, your, your behavioral health status. Um, the example that I always use to clarify why this is so important is if I told you that if you spent $10,000 today on lottery tickets, you just dropped $10,000. Let's say like you didn't even, you had $0 in the bank. You had zero money. But if I said, if you spent $10,000 on lottery tickets, you would have a 98% chance of winning a million dollars. Then you would, without question, do whatever you had to do to raise $10,000 and then buy those lottery tickets because you knew success was basically inevitable. You, you would you would take loans out, you'd borrow money, you'd, you'd, you would go out of your way to make sure that, that it happened because you knew that when you bought those lottery tickets, you were going to get a million bucks eventually. On the other hand, if I told you that, hey, if you spend $10,000 on lottery tickets today, you had a 15 or 20% chance of winning a million dollars, even if you had $100,000 in the bank, there's a strong chance you wouldn't buy those lottery tickets because the chance of success is significantly smaller. You don't see it as valuable enough. You don't see it as likely enough or as, as good of a reason enough to try to, to invest that money because the chance of you losing it is too great. And this is a, the perfect example of when you believe in your ability to succeed, your the, the amount with which you try is significantly harder. You are, you are more willing, ready, and able to put in more effort over the long term because you know success is going to happen versus if you don't know success is going to happen, then it's much easier for you to quit because you just don't think it's going to happen anyway. And this is where a lot of people fall. A lot of people, they say, they, I've tried every diet under the sun. I've tried every workout program. It's just, it just doesn't work for me. It's not going to work for me. It's my age. It's my gender. It's my metabolism. It's this. It's that. They don't believe they're going to succeed. And if you try and put that person on a program without first addressing their belief in themselves, their, their self-efficacy, then you're setting themselves up to lose because you haven't changed anything about them behaviorally, mentally, psychologically, emotionally. You're just giving them a new plan and hoping that it works. And if you really want to set that person up for success, you have to know how to communicate with them and how to increase their self-efficacy over time. Okay. And that's okay. Now, what would be, how do, how do you, let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, because I definitely got some uh, examples here, but I really want to dig in. You know, what are some ways to help somebody increase their self-efficacy? So that's a really good question. And I would start here by saying, how do we measure self-efficacy, right? So like you have to have the standards by which you can actually measure it. And, and there are many, many, many ways to do this. But the one that I've found that works very well consistently is this. Um, I believe it's called a Likert scale where you do it like a one to 10. So you, you basically, you can have this conversation with a client and, you can do it at any point in time. You can do it when you first meet with them for the very first time. You can do it at the end of the very first session. You can do it at the beginning of every session. You can, if you're doing it online coaching, you can have it be part of some, a weekly check-in. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I would usually do it at, at the very least at the end of, of the very first session, the very first time we talk to each other. And then oftentimes about once a week to once a month, depending on the individual thereafter, just to see where their self-efficacy is. Because you can watch it increase and or decrease. And it is very much like your scale weight and that it can fluctuate. But oftentimes the more success an individual has, the higher ranking they're going to be, which makes sense. But what I'll say is I say on a scale of one to 10, one being you do not believe in yourself at all. Like you, you do not believe in your ability to succeed. There is zero chance that you're going to succeed. 
and 10 being there is not a question you're going to succeed. You're going to win. It's 100%. It's inevitable because you know it's going to happen. Where do you fall on this scale? And without question, and I, I've said this to thousands of people, and I have thousands and thousands and thousands of, of uh, coaching client data from this, people who are consistently seven and above were radically more likely to succeed versus people who were six and below. So for me, my goal with clients were to get them to at least seven. If I could get a client to a seven consistently, they were way more likely to succeed. If I tried to get, give someone a program and just let them be if they were below a seven and didn't address it, then they were far more likely to fail. And so there are many, many ways to do this. But one thing that's important to remember here is that it doesn't have to be, you don't just do one thing. You don't take one strategy to increase self-efficacy and then that's the end of it. It's something that you consistently have to do throughout the coaching process. Every time you speak with them, every time you talk with them, you have to not only te- you not only have to increase it yourself, but show them how to increase it on their own without you being there. Um, and there are many, many, many ways to do this. One of, I mean, one of them, for example, is I think one of the easiest ways, one of the most simple ways, is we could use the example of teaching a client how to understand scale weight and scale fluctuations. Right. So, a lot of clients and we've all dealt with this, they'll freak out when they get on the scale They'll because the scale will go up one day, will go down another day, it'll go up another day and they won't know why. And in their mind, they'll think, well, the scale going up is just, they, they've screwed up there. It's not working for them. They're, they've gained a bunch of fat. And when you show, this is one of the biggest things behind my Big Mac challenge that I did like my 30 day Big Mac challenge on YouTube, where I showed people the, my fluctuations. And I showed people how it went up and down and up and down and how one day I randomly spiked up 3.4 pounds, but I didn't quit. I kept going. And when they see that and they see that, oh, this is just data. This doesn't mean I gained three pounds of fat in a night. It's just data. It increases their, their belief in themselves because now they know, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't fat. This is just part of the process. And so the more they can learn to t- talk to themselves and, and show themselves, oh, I'm not failing. This is just part of the process. The less likely they are to quit, the more likely they are, they are to stay consistent, the more likely they are to succeed. So it's just one example of, and that example is specifically increasing their knowledge, but there are other ways as well. There's through social modeling or whatever it is. There are other different ways you can increase their self-efficacy. But I think one of the most important things to understand here is it's not just a one-time thing. Coaching isn't just a one-time thing. It's not a one interaction. You don't just, you don't tell someone how to Uh, We've all had a client in person, hopefully, if you've coached people in person, which I think everybody should. But if you've coached someone in person, you don't just tell them one cue for a single leg RDL and all of a sudden they get it and you never have to cue them again. It's like every time they come in, you're probably still going to have to be cueing them, reminding them of certain things, send your foot back to the wall behind you, brace your core, squeeze the kettlebell really tight, whatever it is. You do it every time you see them because that's what a good coach does. Improving their self-efficacy is something you do every time you interact with them. And if you're a really good coach, you help them do it on their own. That's great, man. I, I, so here, here's something I want to piggyback on uh, because you like bringing that up before we touched on anything else is probably the most, the most important thing so that we didn't d- dive into all these sets and reps, but like really looked at like, what's the most important thing. Now, some of it, like the way I look at this is, and, and let me know what you think about this as far as uh, an analogy and your thought process around it. But like, you know, building self-efficacy is almost like, okay, self-esteem. And I look at it as a bank account, right? So every time you do the thing that you said you're going to do, you, you kind of almost put a credit in your bank, you know, self-esteem bank account. But every time you don't, it's a debit, right? And if, if you say, hey, listen, I'm going to do this, you know, hardcore diet, and then you don't because it's just too challenging, 
now you get that debit in your self-esteem bank account. But if you're like, hey, listen, tomorrow morning, I'm just going to make a smoothie for breakfast and, you know, be compliant. And it's not a huge thing and you do it, then you put a credit in there. And I feel that a lot of it is around, you know, if, if you continue to put debits in your self-esteem bank account, you kind of go broke when it comes to self-esteem and it's challenging. And that's what you see a lot of people taking on these massive kind of changes um, and then failing and then feeling like, oh, I'm a failure. See, it's not meant to be. But if you're able to build the credits up, that increases self-efficacy and people start believing more and more because you're stacking that self-esteem that you, you kind of, uh, I would say, believe more and more than you can achieve things. And so whether that is, you know, finding the right type of win and size of win for each uh, coaching client, some people can take on more, some can take on less. But do you relate those two together? Is like you're, you're finding ways for them to win. And as you're doing that, they believe it more and more and more. And of course, you got to continue to do that. Um, and, but, you know, if you've coached somebody for three, four years, even if they go off on their own, or if you'd coach them for a year and a half, they go off on their own, they build up enough self-esteem, self-efficacy, they'll be fine because they have the education, but they also have now these habits. Is, is that something that you correlate? A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why if someone ever comes to me and says, what is the, the most important thing that you think everybody should do to improve their health? For me, it's always, I just say walk, just like walk every day. If someone comes to me and, and they're coming from a place of, especially people who like are, are maybe very overweight, uh, they, they are nervous to go in the gym. They don't know where to start. They, they don't believe they can succeed. My first recommendation is just walk for five minutes a day, every day. And, and we'll just get on that. It's a, a lot of coaches, I think, would look at that and be like, really? That's all you're doing because they've spent so much time. They've read fucking super training. Like, all right, well, I'm going to look at all this. I'm going to like, make sure they can understand the Krebs cycle. It's like, all right, well, cool. It's fantastic that you understand conjugated periodization like Mazel Tov, but I don't care how well you understand it. It doesn't, your, co your clients aren't doing anything. So for me, I would rather get someone be very consistent with five minutes of walking every day. It might not seem like much, but to that person, it, mean, it means everything to them that they're actually doing it. And then oftentimes, those five minutes will turn into 10, will turn into 20, will turn into 30, will turn into kettlebell deadlifting, will turn into doing push-ups on their knees, will turn into doing other things, will turn into eating more fruits and vegetables versus the opposite, which is what most people do is they're like, all right, well, I'm going to start you off on this insane program, this insane diet. They try and do everything at once and it lasts for a week, maybe 20, 30 days tops. Then they just completely go off track the other way. It's like, I'd rather build up slow and last longer than go too fast and then last like a month tops. I'm, so I'm with, I'm definitely with you on, on the side of like that. A lot of coaches will jump in and try to show all their knowledge and do too much. But what about the side of if somebody comes to see you and like, you know, that they, it's not smart for them to take on too much. And you go like, okay, listen, we're going to start here. And, and the client goes like, ah, oh, Jordan, but like, man, that's it. You know, they're <laughs> questioning, like they, they want more, right? Oh, shouldn't I be doing strength training three days a week and sprints uphill twice a week? You know, like where, where, what do you do with that situation? Right. Where, you, you kind of, you, you want to dial it back, but also you have to be understanding if they, if they want more, because that's, that's all a challenging thing that I've found also with, with clients that are like, no, no, I want to take on all this stuff. Although, you know, that they've done that before and failed, but without just going like, Hey, listen, you know, if, if I give you this, you're going to fail, right? Not the best way to say it. Like, where do you kind of, what's your angle on the coaching side of things when that happens? Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. And to be candid with you, I still struggle with that too. I don't, I think every coach struggles with it because every, 
every individual that we interact with is going to be different. And a lot of times someone's going to come in really, really like hyped up, like, yeah, let's do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And the worst, almost like the worst feeling is feeling like you're going to demotivate somebody, right? Where like, you're going to like, no, no, we need to slow down. They're like, no, but I'm hyped up. It's like, no, no, we got to slow down. It's almost one of the worst feelings in the world because they're so hyped up and you don't want to take that away from them. But you also have to know, like if, if someone's just, putting the pedal to the metal and just like going all out, like they're going to burn out and you have to, a good coach is going to know that. I think the poor coaching strategy here is to say, Hey, you're either going to do what I'm going to say or find another coach. I think it's a really stupid idea. Mm-hmm. I think the the correct coaching strategy here is to structure the conversation in a way that leads the person to coming up with a better idea on their own. So for me, rather than, I, I think, and this is where I think every coach needs to really understand motivational interviewing and how to actually talk with people like a, like an intelligent human being. But for when a client comes to me like, yeah, well, I want to do this. I want to do this. I'll be like, okay, listen, I'm totally open to anything. Do me a favor and tell me what you've tried in the past and, and how that's worked for you. And then they'll tell me like basically exactly more or less what they've just outlined. They'll just tell me, well, I've tried this, I've tried this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So how'd that work? They'll be like, well, it worked out really, really, really well at the beginning. Like, okay, so what happened next? Well, you know, it got really hard to, to sustain, da, da, da. I was like, okay, cool. So that makes total sense. I'm 100% fine doing that now. But if you were to look at it objectively going forward, do you think it makes sense to do the same thing that you've tried over and over and over again? Or do you think that maybe we should try something different? And again, I'm fine with whatever you choose, but I just want you to be objective here when you encourage people to be objective and you frame it like this, they're much, it's so funny how this works. When you just say like, well, what do you think about this? Oftentimes people are, are easier to dig their heels in and, uh, and to hold on to their cognitive bias. But when you slow the conversation down and be like, well, listen, hold on, let's just be objective with this. Like, honestly, if you were to honestly think about this, it's very funny how quickly people can, can actually be very honest with themselves and say, okay, you know what? You're right. Like I've tried this before. You know, maybe I should maybe I should try something a little bit different, or maybe we should do something more sustainable. And for me, my my job here is I just try and ask them questions for them to outline exactly what I would essentially outline for them. I'm like, okay, cool. So you want to do something more sustainable? So what do you think that would look like? Would that would that mean increasing your calories so you're actually eating more than a thousand calories a day? I'd be like, yeah, probably. I'd be like, okay, cool. So somewhere in the range of like fifteen to eighteen hundred a day. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. You think you can hit that every day without problem? Yeah, yeah, no question. And instead of maybe working out seven days a week, what do you think would be more? Uh, more realistic. I don't know, maybe like three to four days a week. Okay, cool. So between three and four, what would you rather? And then they'll, they'll tell me and we can just go from there. But a lot of it is me structuring the conversation in question format, asking them to really come up with the best idea on their own, rather than me saying, no, 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 you're going to do what I say. But I will say after a certain point, sometimes if someone's being really, 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 really stubborn, uh, and really fighting against it, I'll be like, listen, let me ask you a question why did you come to me specifically? Like, why, why did you want to hire me? And then they'll tell me, it's, and they're like, well, because, you know, I trust you because like clearly you have the experience. And it's like, okay, so if, if you want to work with me for all of those reasons, are you going to trust me with your programming or are you going to trust yourself with your programming? And then oftentimes that works very well. I will say maybe like, maybe like two to 5% of the time, someone will be like, all right, you know what? Like I'll find another coach. And we're just like, okay, amazing. I'd rather you find another coach. That's like, it's going to be better for you. And plus for me as well, like at a certain point, I just can't be giving up so much of my own time and energy if someone's not going to be willing to listen. But the vast majority of time that all of those strategies work very well.
Man, in, in that conversation you actually covered uh, was so interesting. I just got done reading uh, Jonah Berger's uh, book, The Catalyst. He's the guy that wrote uh, Contagious. But mm -hmm. he, t he talks there about agency and, you know, three different things that like help promote agency are number one is choice, like giving people a menu. And you mentioned that there, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, here's a couple options, you know, which one do you want to go with? So that people feel like they're making the commitment and making the yes. choice. Exactly. So, I mean, which is crucial. But then the second one you, you brought up was, you know, ask, don't tell. You asked a lot of questions. And so then they kind of come to their own solution. And then the third one is, you know, understanding. So basically it's kind of like this chart of first you have understanding, then you get trust and you get change. And in that conversation, you touch on all of them, but I, I wanted to just bring them to light for anybody. I, you know, I don't care if you're a coach or if you're not a coach, like if you want to help somebody change, you know, ask, don't tell, create choices, just kind of like with, with, with kids. Right. Uh, or, you know what, even in, I would say in a relationship, I remember it's like, you know, when I was uh, with my girlfriend, it's like not, that I'm not with anymore, but it, it, <laughs> just, just for the record. Uh, but, but it was like, you know, Hey, uh, you want to get pizza? And it's like, ah, I don't want to get pizza. You know what I mean? Then the next time it's like, all right, you want to get sushi? No, I don't want to get like, it was always an issue. But if it was like, Hey, listen, you want to get the burger or sushi? And then see, the, th the thing is now she'll make a choice and then be like, cool. Cause just because you created some options and some choices. And of course the person feels like, it's their decision, right? 100%. You can tell the kids like, hey, listen, which one of these, you know, jackets you want to wear? They'll be like, oh, that one. But if you tell them wear this jacket, they're going to rebel. And we're probably like, we probably are similar. Like if you tell me, hey, listen, man, Luca, you got to do this. I'm like, what? Screw right? off. Well, yeah, exactly. You want to <laughs> rebel. What do you mean? I want to do that. But it's like, hey, which one of these three things you want to do? I'll probably pick and choose and feel like it's, it's my decision. And people are way more, you know, committed to their own choices than they are to somebody else's. That's exactly so right. It, it's, that's such a great point in anything is, you know, how do you remove the barrier? Well, help people have their own agency, you know, and, and that's what I love about this because, it, you know, whatever we talk, if we talked about like right now, like back squat, front squat, this, that, the other, I mean, let, let's be serious, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, like, you've become great at helping people change period, like change their health and fitness. And these are the actual things that we got to talk about versus, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a geek when it comes to training, but this is the stuff that really moves things forward. And so like, if you, okay, because you have like so many people like that are in the inner circle that you're coaching on it, what would you say? Like, once they get to this point, because, you know, you just said maybe you're going to start with 10 minutes walking or 15 minutes walking, but ideally longevity based, right? Like somebody that if for the next 20, 30 years is going to exercise and train and, and do nutrition. Is there something that you've kind of noticed that like, hey, man, most people are gr do great with two strength sessions a week, uh, maybe one conditioning session and just a lot of activity, right? Is there so like, is there something that you've seen that like this seems to be working well for the majority it's almost like i was just talking to dr andy galpin it's like the 90 percent of the things that work for 90 percent of the people yeah yep yeah I, I mean i would say for training wise i've found that either three or four times a week works very well very well depending on the person um three times a week i've found that a lot of people really really enjoy a 
lower upper full full body. That's like generally what most people follow with me is either three times a week, lower upper full body. Uh, and then if it's four times a week, a lot of them really prefer the upper lower split. So lower upper, lower upper. Um, and just those are, are plenty. Um, then on top of that, in terms of nutrition, for one of the biggest things, I think probably the best thing I've incorporated over the last year or so is just, I call it one big ass salad every day. Just like just every day have one big salad. Like that's, if, if that's all you get, that's how you're going to get it. It's so interesting. Doctors and, and nutritionists and coaches for years and years and years have, and myself included have said, eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more fruits and vegetables. But as soon as I started calling it a big ass salad, it come like the, the no, like you wouldn't believe how many thousands of people have messaged me saying like, I never used to eat fruits and vegetables, but I, I never thought about putting it into a salad, which is, is truly remarkable to me how ridiculous that sounds, but I, you never stop learning as a coach. And that's why I go out of my way every single day to post my big ass salad on my Instagram and, and all over the place. Because for whatever reason, when you tell people to eat fruits and vegetables, they're just like, ah, no. But when you say eat one big ass salad, they're like, oh my God, like what a great idea. And it's like, all right, cool. So if that's, I'm literally, I'm going to make a book. I, I, my girlfriend makes a bunch of really, really amazing salads. We're going to make like a joint book together called Big Ass Salads and Where to Find Them. And it's just going to be like a whole recipe book of a bunch of big ass salads. Um, I love this. It's just, it's, if you, I don't know if you ever read the book Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath, yep. but it's about how to make ideas really sticky and how to make, make ideas so simple for people to remember them always uh, and easy to, to implement in their life. So that's a lot of my nutrition stuff that I do, but for strength training, either three or four times a week. And then for nutrition, it's really just finding out ways to do things that everyone has known for a while they should always be doing, but making them either fun or exciting or enjoyable, bringing them new ways to include them into their life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And on, on the, I love that idea, by the way, because big ass sound like here Salads are great if you can throw all types of shit in it. Like that's that's the way that I've always ate them, right? Like it's put in what put put in all the stuff that you like, and then it becomes great. Just like uh, the smoothie. Like for instance, that's how I coach a lot of clients that would never eat certain things by themselves. But you're like, listen, like put the greens, put the blueberries, put the put the banana, put this, put that in a smoothie, blend it up, put some peanut butter in there, and it's and it's like it tastes great to you. But now you got all these nutrients that you want and need. And then you can get that out the way and eat other stuff for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? That's exactly like, right. And, and the thing is because, I mean, that's how I started doing it too. It was like, oh, if, if there are certain deficiencies or something else, you're like, listen, I'm not, you know, my last meal, I'm not going to add all these other things. But if I blend it all together, that's really simple. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and it will lose the certain tastes that I don't want to individually eat because I can throw in whatever, tons of blueberries and the greens and whatever else. And it's like, oh, now it tastes great, but I'm still getting the thing that I need. And it, it really can be that simple. So that's, that's the magic behind it, right? How do you get people to do simple things and, uh, and they work just like the big ass salad works? Damn. A hundred percent. On that note, because I, you know, I definitely want to, uh, I would say, dig into the, like, the transition. Okay, so right now for where you are, I almost would want to, take you back a little bit and, and kind of get into that mindset of somebody that is in a space where whether they're doing, you know, coaching face to face right now, I mean, we, we're in a time right now for sure that most coaches are thinking about, okay, you know, things are changing dramatically. I have to look at the online space and virtual training. And obviously there's this fear of what's going to happen in industry and whatnot. 
Um, but I would, or maybe, maybe it's like your, your viewpoint from if you had to do it right now. And I know that's a tough question because you've already built up, you know, your business to where it is, but maybe from an angle of like, Hey, you're, you're a coach, you're, you're training people face to face, but you want it to go online. What would be the steps that you take and, and kind of almost, you know, doing a men in black, like I zap you and zap your memory <laughs> of, of where you are right now. Uh, what would be some some things that you do and that somebody that's in that position right now could take to build another kind of revenue stream or arm of the business that's online? Man, and, no, this is a great question. And I've actually been asked this a number of times uh, over the last couple of weeks. And, and it's so funny. Like, I think right now would be one of the best times to be a coach, mainly doing in-person, trying to figure out how to go online because like, I would be grinding so hard right now if like, like I would be going crazy over the top right now uh, if I was mainly in person and then this happened and I'd try to go online and I could just, I, I can imagine my younger self what I would be doing in this situation. Cause I, I think back to what I did do when it wasn't this type of situation and I worked so hard to, to get online and, and to really over deliver for all of my clients but oh man, the stuff that I would be doing, it, I would get all of my in-person clients and I'd be doing Zoom sessions with them or Skype sessions with them. I'd be texting them every day. I'd be like, I'd be like giving them free programming. I'd be, I'd give them first and foremost, probably what I would do is, is I would outline and make a very clear outline of what my online coaching program was. I think this is something that a lot of, a lot of coaches don't do. And a lot of coaches are like, all right, well, I need to make sure I have my system set up and I need to make sure that I have this right. And it's like, you don't need to have all of your systems and everything set up yet when you haven't even started. Your first 10 to 20 clients are really going to be like the people that are going to help you build your systems. Like you can't build your systems before you've actually started coaching anybody. So, but what I would recommend you do is take a piece of paper and write down everything that's going to be included in your online coaching program. Just like, and essentially if you're thinking about it from a sales perspective, writing down the facts about your program and then writing down the benefits of your program. Right. So like the facts would be like, okay, so the facts are how many times a week are you going to check in with them? Are you going to check in with them every single day before 10 AM? Are they required to email you every day before 10 AM? Is it going to be a one time a week thing? It doesn't matter necessarily as long as you just are very clear with what your expectations are for them and what they can expect from you. So are they going to check in with you every day, every five days a week, one time a week, what day, what time, how many times a month are they going to get a new program? Are they going to send you new exercise videos like every week, every month? What is it going to be? How's that going to look? Are you going to send them your, their calories and their protein? Are you going to send them their macros? Like are you going to, how, how are they going to send you uh, progress pictures, their measurements, we get all the facts of the program. Like this is exactly what the program is. Now the benefits are something different. And a lot of, this is one of the, when you're learning how to write sales copy, this is sort of the, one of the difficult things to understand early on. A, a fact is a fact about the program. Like what does the program include? Sort of like a fact about a car, be like the car is red. The car has this type of engine. The car has this type of wheels. The benefit would be the car has this type of engine. So it means you're going to go faster than all of your friends on the road and you're going to make yourself look way cooler. 
or the cars like the the color is a special kind of red so like whatever when the light hits it in this way you're going to be invisible for whatever it is like that's a benefit of the of the actual color right it's not the fact about the car isn't a benefit it's what the what the fact about it turns into a benefit so the fact about your program can be listen so you're going to email me every day that's a fact of it the benefit being so i can hold you accountable and make sure you're doing what you need to do in order to achieve your goals so write down all of your facts all of your benefits and then from there, I would get every single client that I have in person and I would give them at least one month of free online coaching. I'd be like, listen, join my online coaching program. I'm going to give you the first month free, 100% on me. And, and just so everyone's clear, this is exactly what I did when I first started going online. I was taking my in-person clients and I'd be like, hey, I'm switching to online. Uh, if you don't want to do that with me, totally fine. But I would like to, at the very least, give you at least one month of complimentary online coaching, which meant for my first month of online coaching when I was really switching people on, I, got, I didn't get any income because I was taking all my in-person clients, moving them all online, and I gave them all one month free, which some people would be like, oh my God, I can't do that. But you have to remember each of those people then had a number of referrals after that. And they became, I still have clients who are online coaching clients who are from that initial transfer back in 2014. So I would say get all of your in-person clients, contact them individually, get on the phone with them, talk with them, give them one month of free online coaching and then progress from there. But I would go over the top for them and, and really like Zoom calls, Skype calls, whatever it is, checking in with them via text or via email, giving them their nutrition and making sure they're like having them send you technique videos if they'd like, but really go over the top for that. And you could, by the end of this, have a very, very significant online coaching program. That's some great advice. What made you, okay, so, at least for you, right? What makes you decide the difference? Because there is so many different options, like so many different options, right? But if you're spending more um, individualized time with people and, you know, you take them online and you charge more. So, you're, you know, you're charging in a 200 plus month uh, a range with that. First of all, I mean, you, there's obviously a limit to how many people you personally can have without building a team and so on and so forth. You know, do you go and, and what was it for you? That's, uh, that's another question you know, doing like some more higher end or something like for you where it's the inner circle where you can go and help more people and it's more scalable uh, and there's maybe not as much individualization. First of all, like how do you choose at least from your, like from your perspective and you know, what's the difference and what made you go with, with the direction that you're going with right now? So I, and this isn't right for everyone, but I very much believe if I had started with the inner circle with the, with the membership early on, I would have failed mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. But I think a lot, it, it sounds more attractive to people to be like, okay, well, I want the scalable monthly membership thing, lower cost. And I think one of the reasons it's more attractive to people is because number one, it's you oftentimes don't have, have to do that very individualized, very intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, and also in their mind, they think, oh, well, if it's lower cost, then more people are going to sign on. And that is, it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as, well, lower cost equals more people sign on. If you have a lower cost option that no one is interested in, then you have a lower cost option that no one is paying for. This is really, really, really important to understand. It's like, just because something is $2.99 doesn't mean everyone's going to pay for it. Like, if, it, if it's not interesting to people, then no one is going to pay that $2.99. And I see people starting and miserably failing with their, like, lower-cost membership options because they have no clue what in the hell they're doing. And I very much believe 
I, I did online coaching one-on-one only from 2011 until 2015. So from 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, I got a lot of practice doing online coaching, building my online systems, building up a, a, a significant number of people who have worked with me one-on-one online coaching so that I had tremendous systems built. I knew how to do it. I knew what people's goals were. I knew how to interact with them online. So when I eventually launched something online that was a lower cost, I had more people willing and ready and able to do that. But if you just try and launch this lower cost option just because it's lower cost, you're going to fail miserably because lower cost isn't enough of a reason for people to want to invest in it. There has to be way more reason than just, well, it's lower cost, especially when people can find whatever they want for free online. So your lower cost really doesn't matter. People aren't, they don't care about your lower cost. They care about what they're going to get and if it's worth it. And I, the reality is if I can get someone to take their credit card out for $24.99 a month, I can get them to take their credit card out for $300 a month. It's like, it, it's, it's that's not the difference it's not the lower cost it's what you have to offer and is it worthwhile for them or not um so for me i would very much recommend starting with one-on-one especially because if you don't have that large of an audience if you don't have that many people following you then i would rather you have 10 people paying you 200 or 300 dollars a month that you can actually work with intensively one-on-one give them a great service than have 10 people paying you $24 a month, who you would essentially be giving probably the exact same service to, but for a fraction of the price, you would end up resenting them. And there's just a whole lot of issues, obviously, that follow into that. I'd rather you do higher end one-on-one coaching for at least probably one to three years before you decide to build a membership, because within that time frame of the one to three years, you'll work with way more people. You'll be able to build, you'll be able to make and save more money and saving money is just everything. Being able to save money and have that in the bank for when you do decide you want to start your own membership, it, it gives you buffer room. Like it gives you a lot of buffer room and a lot of like, just in case something bad happens, you ha- you can always fall back onto your previous system. But if you're trying to start with like the most difficult system to build and you don't have anything to fall back on, you're really like putting yourself in a bad situation. Man, so many nuggets drop right there. I'm loving it. Now, now I got to dive into certain, certain aspects of it, but I mean, definitely something that, you know, I constantly tell people because it just becomes, it looks lucrative, right? Especially right now. Oh man, there's thousands of people on, on this membership side of this and this, but it's, you know, lower cost. And I think this is really, really important because there's two things you mentioned. One, you become really good at it, which I think is key, especially if you move online, like you got to get good at online coaching and developing those systems. And it's very difficult to do that, to just jump the gun and go into like, all right, well, I got this lower cost option and, you know, but you don't have positioning yet. You don't have authority yet. And so that's the, one of the things that I want to dive into a little bit. I mean, for somebody right now that, you know, maybe has been a coach has done well, like they get results, they build relationships, people stay with them uh, and they want to move online, but they, they're not known beyond maybe just, you know, their gym or maybe their even their local area. Uh, but they want to build that. What are some, some of your thoughts around how to do that? But like I said, for, you know, imagine that you got some coaching clients, you do well with that face-to-face, you're starting to move online, maybe you're starting to get a couple people there. How do you build authority and positioning in your eyes to then be able to scale it? You know, like I said, down the line, not months later, but you, I mean, you talked about you built things for years before you moved on to like this model. Yeah, so, so how do you build authority online? Yep. Man, I mean, 
whenever I talk about this, I think a lot of people are surprised by my answer. Um, I think a lot of people expect me to talk about social media and specifically Instagram. Uh, and that would actually be my, some of my last advice. I think the, the best thing that you can start off with is writing long form articles on your website, um, which is something now that I see a lot of coaches, they don't even have a website or their website is literally just a page with like stuff about them and their coaching program, but they don't have any long form articles on there. And I actually consider myself very lucky that I got into the industry and writing at a time when writing articles was the only way to really get your name out there. The Instagram didn't exist yet. Facebook was like, yeah, it was around, but it was really, no one was really using it for content as much as it was just like a place to feed people to your website, like to your blog. Um, long form articles, I think are the single best thing anybody can do to really build a lot, a sustainable business online uh, for a number of reasons, not least of which being SEO purposes. You make an Instagram post and it's gone within like 24 hours. People aren't going to see it again unless you repost it. Um, people can find you and search you on for your long form online articles. And it's one of those things where people will say, well, people don't read long form uh, articles anymore. Like, or people don't have the attention span for that anymore. It's like, meanwhile, you've been listening to this podcast for about 45 minutes. It's like you, you, people absolutely have this attention span. They have the attention span for what they care about. And most coaches, especially probably listening to this, like they spend an inordinate amount of time and money on certifications and DVDs and articles and spend a ton of time studying to get better. And they probably forgot that when they were first getting into fitness that they would spend a ton of time reading articles, watching YouTube videos, spending a ton of time researching how to do this, how to do that, technique videos, programming articles, blah, blah, blah. It's like the, the idea that people don't have a good attention spans anymore is completely and utterly false. People have the attention span for stuff that they're interested in. And they also, attention span is also medium, um, medium dependent. So if you're only doing stuff on Instagram, well, of course, then the medium you're using is inherently lower attention span focused. So instead of trying to like fill your ego with likes on Instagram, how about you settle down a little bit, spend 12 to 20 hours a week on one amazing article every single week. That's 1500 to 2,500 words. SEO is very well that goes in depth on an individual topic. And instead of getting any like 20 to 20 to 50 people reading it, like you would on Instagram, maybe you only get like five to 15 people reading it on your website, but those five to 15 people are way more invested in you than any of the people on your Instagram are. And they're far more likely to become clients. It's like you get 15 people reading your articles consistently online and you get, 15 people to sign up for your online coaching program. It's like that's two to $300 a month for 15 people. And then each of those people, you're probably going to get at least one referral from each of those individuals. It's like it, it compounds so much better from an online uh, perspective than your Instagram does. I always liken Instagram to rapid fat loss and your website to sustainable fat loss. Instagram is like you get quick results. You might get people online very quickly. It might be a, a good way to get a quick ego boost, but it's, it's very difficult to sustain unless you strike lightning, unless you're one of the very few people who happens to do well with rapid fat loss, whereas the vast majority of people do much better with sustainable fat loss. You are giving yourself a much better advantage if you spend the time to 12 to 20 hours a week on one really, 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 really good article. You do that for two to three years, you're going to have a business that lasts the rest of your life. Man, you threw a curveball. I think that people that are listening are like, what? <laughs> I, I have over 500 articles. 
one, two, I've three steps of IG. On my website. No one, no one thinks about this. I have over 500 articles on my website alone, not to mention the articles that I wrote for guest articles for, for years from 2011 to 2016. It's like the vast majority of my career is spent writing long form articles. And where do I get the ideas for my Instagram posts from all the long form articles that I wrote over the last decade? It's like the long form articles are what built my business, not my Instagram. So a couple of things that I like, I'm loving this, by the way, um, you know, cause that was the, that was the conversation, but you made such a good point. Like, yeah, somebody that's on Instagram may not want to read a, you know, article for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but that's because they're on Instagram. So you, you got to understand platforms and why building an email list is important and so on and so forth. And you know, what's so, so interesting is like, you know, we coach, uh, say our gym owners that a lot of times we'll start doing hybrid stuff too, but you know, things that like, think about press releases, right? Nobody, few people even mention a press release anymore. And we've had like so many of our, our people get onto the news. Uh, one guy even got onto CNN, a CNN in Dubai because they were doing press releases, right? And able to get on that, on that platform. Just like when you talk about article writing, if you write a good article, right? And, and I have this quote that's like, you know, what's difficult is scarce, what's scarce is valuable. It takes more time it's more difficult to write a good article do the research sit down so on and so forth but if you if you do it's exactly that you're going to get more invested people into it and they're going to probably be better coaching clients and a friend of mine that also has a, a pretty good a pretty big i would say following on instagram and we we're discussing this model of you know because he was frustrated about doing uh kind of kind of lower end stuff um, and, and like, man, the churn is, you know, the churn and burn is, is, is really big. But what, but back when I was writing articles, you know, I get clients that were 10 X, 20 X, the monthly, you know, price point never complain, but now I'm having like this lower price point and it's constant churn, constant complaining, whatever. And, but it was one of those, you know, kind of insights of, well, how do you deliver this content and how do you, you know, position yourself? And obviously like you've done that for a long, like, I look at it almost like foundations of house, right? You spend a lot of time building really strong foundations and then you've built on different platforms on top of that. And would you say that that's something that like, if, if you didn't do um, the article writing before that things would have turned out the same way or, or, or no, no way. I've said this many, many, many times before. If I didn't start off with writing articles, then my business would have failed for sure. Um, and, and I, and I've even, the reality is when I first started my business, I didn't know that it was a business. Like, and I think I've, I've spoken about this before too, that if I had started off my business knowing that I could make money online, like many people do now, I would have failed because instead of spending the time, I, like I would take a week to two weeks to write one article. I would spend hours and hours and hours thinking of the article, researching the article, writing the article, editing the article, formatting the article, one article, like at the bare minimum, bare minimum was 12 hours, oftentimes 20 hours, 24 hours for a single article. It's like, and if I knew that making money online was a possibility, I would have been like, well, I need to publish more frequently. I need to get them out faster. And I would have expected people to sign on with my online coaching program from every article because, well, I'm putting in so much work. So I just deserve to have people sign on. It's like, no, you don't deserve anything. You deserve what you get. It's like, that's it, period. And so by me not even knowing online business was a thing or even I didn't know paypal.com existed, it allowed me just to sit and take time to write really great articles to help people so that eventually 
people started reaching out, asking for online coaching based on articles that I had written a year, two years ago, things that I had stopped thinking about. That's what's great about those articles is they always work for you. There's a reason why Google is the number one website in the world because people Google things they don't know. When people want to know the answer to something, they Google, how do I do this? How do I do that? No one's going to Instagram searching, how do I do this? How do I do that? It's like when someone wants to know the answer to something, they Google it and then they find whatever articles or videos are there. That's why YouTube is the best video option and article writing is the best written option. And what's the common theme with both of those? They're both long form. Like if you look at the average time spent on a YouTube video, it would probably be between anywhere between like five to 12 minutes, right? And in that time range. Well, that's usually how long it takes you to read a long form article as well. Think about how long people spend on an average Instagram post. It's definitely less than a minute. And it's not because it's not a great post, but it's because that's the medium that you're using. Spend more time on mediums that require people to spend more time on you and you'll get more people who spend more time on you. Would you, because of that, would you say that most people rush to, you know, to build their online business and because they rush, they're cutting corners and then they're missing the boat on this. You know, whether it's like I said, long form, even video, uh, which I love and I, I mean, I do a ton of like 45 minute, 20, 30 minute videos for YouTube, you know, whiteboarding, educating. Um, and there's thousands of people that watch it. Right. So it's obviously not that like nobody will watch it. You just have to be in front of the right audience. But would you, you know, like your kind of, I would say insight and wisdom from talking to people that are like, man, I gotta go online would be to, would it be maybe the words to slow down or just to be more like do more quality work versus, uh, doing more, I say quick hitters just so that there's volume. Is that maybe something to, to ponder for, for people that are listening to this? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say number one is patience. The same thing that we tell our, our coaching clients where it's like, you have to be very patient, right? And the same way that your, your clients are going to be pissed if, well, I, I only lost like four pounds this month. It's like, okay, what's the problem? Be like, that's, that's phenomenal. Relax. So number one, be patient understand that this is going to take two to three years of consistency. And that's the next thing you have to be consistent with it. I see a lot of coaches being like, Oh, like I'm a way better coach than that coach. And they have way more followers than I do. It's like, yeah, well that coach also posts way more frequently than you do. And your posts suck. It's like, of course that they have more followers than you. It's like, if it doesn't matter if you're a better coach than them, but if you're only posting one to four times a week on Instagram at most, and your captions are like two sentences long and you're reposting someone else's infographic, like screw you. You don't deserve to have more followers. So patience and consistency. And I would absolutely spend less. This is one of my biggest things that I really hate about a lot of like mastermind nonsense. A lot of people are like, never do anything for free, never devalue your service. And I'm like, I've built my entire business off of giving everything away for free. It doesn't mean you should never charge for your service. It doesn't mean making money is bad. I think it's tremendous and you can do amazing things with, with money you make and really help a lot of people. But if you're mad that people aren't paying for your services, then that means that you haven't done enough work properly yet in order to earn that yet. So relax take a step back, be more patient, be more consistent. And then people will start paying you once you've earned the right to be paid for it. Man, I have to pause there for a second. That was powerful. <laughs> now, nah, man, it's like, you're, you're bringing up so many like really, really good points that people need to hear because and that's why, that's why digging into, you know, your story and how you got here and actually like kind of unraveling the really important parts, which is things like, Hey, listen, man, like, cause that's what you're seeing right now. People are just going like, you can build this in 30 days. And 
and, and then what? I mean, it really is, has a, a parallel to the things that we teach with, you know, weight loss and changing your body long-term and being able to keep it. it there is so many parallels and you're bringing them, so many of them up, which is, is what I love. Um, now, do, is there anything that you feel like, you know, as, as you look forward and you go, um, you know, because I, I think certain things won't change. I think some things are changing for sure. But, you know, as we move forward, do you think there's going to be more of anything that we need to focus, focus on, which, which means like, you know, you got to focus more on social media. You got to focus more on going almost back and building, you know, an email list and or uh, long form writing. Is there, you know, just do you, do you stop and think, especially at this time and even for yourself and go like, hey, what's the direction that I want to take, you know, my coaching and my business and the advice that might help somebody else or do you feel like things are going to go i would say back but you know uh, a lot of the same things are going to, con to continue to have in a, in a in a past years i think that we're gonna see many many things return to how they were um i think that obviously there will be changes and it will take time to, to get back but i think the standard principles that have held true for years will continue to always always to hold true. Um, I think it's always been funny. A lot, one of the more common questions that I've gotten over the years, even from when I first started has always been, <laughs> it's so funny. One, one of the things people always say, and I was like, Oh, the fitness industry is so saturated. It's just so saturated and it's just impossible to, to get your name. And people have said this to me since I started my business in 2011. It's just, it's so saturated and it's only gotten more and more and more saturated. And people have always asked like, aren't you worried about how saturated it is and how, how many coaches there are? Like, don't you, aren't you worried about your business? And I'm always like, no, not at all. And they're like, well, why? It's like, because no one works as hard as I work. So uh, as, as long as that's the case, then I'm never going to be worried about it. And, and that's the truth of the matter where, yeah, there's a lot of saturation on a very surface level, but you, you go down just a little bit, just a little bit deeper than that surface level. And it's not saturated at all. Like there's a lot of room. There's an overwhelming amount of room. There's a never ending amount of room for anyone and everyone who wants it because the reality is the vast majority of coaches aren't going to put in enough work to actually stand out. You can saturate that surface level all you want, but I know for a fact the vast majority of people aren't going to go that extra step to even just get a little bit deeper, just a little bit harder work, a little bit, a little bit more, give a little bit more value and help to people for whatever reason. Maybe it's because they're lazy. Maybe it's because they don't actually want it. Maybe because they, uh, they feel like they deserve deserve to be paid for everything from the very beginning. Who knows what, maybe because they actually don't even really care about it at all. There's any number of reasons for it. But I, I think as long as you're willing to put in even a, a cursory level of work from the very beginning, do a little bit for free, then the saturation level is irrelevant. And as long as you do a little bit of work, you're going to be able to help a lot of people. Absolutely. And, and the, you know, we know the turnover rate. And it, to me, it's always been like the turnover rate a lot of times ends up being the the people are like oh wow this is actually hard i'm out of here you know like yeah exactly uh, i'll go do something else maybe that's a little bit easier but as soon as you put in more work you kind of go a layer deeper and now there's less people in that layer you work harder there's less people you work harder and smarter and there's even less people and that part is i feel like very unsaturated and i'm pretty sure i mean i i know that both of us part of the mission is helping the right people be able to get to that level, right? Where, where it's like, they're, they're great coaches and doing better in business because we need more people like that. We absolutely need a lot more people in those areas to help, 
more people transform period but that top layer is spinning because like i said as soon as you realize that you know this is not the industry that you get into to uh <laughs> to, to, you know to be balling out of control by year two that's it's not not how it works uh but yeah that's that's definitely a good point man like um what is there on like last thing too like let's just kind of like we, we touched on training and nutrition a little bit some of the principles but if you could and i'm usually not the person like give me the top three to five but you know uh <laughs> what like for instance when you guys you know uh, are teaching like business coaching uh on on the online part what are some things you mentioned one earlier that actually if if, if you'd want to kind of maybe microscope that a little bit more which was building systems but what are some like big big picture things that you guys teach to uh for for the building an online business yeah i could definitely go into the the systems bit and i'll say one of the more common questions i get about systems is what's my opinion on online um programs that essentially like you as a coach sign up to them and they give you your they give you your platform right so um I'm not going to say any names of any off the bat, but essentially there are programs that you could have that like you pay a monthly subscription to, and then you have all of your clients on there. And it's like basically a template built out for you. Um, <coughs> I've never been a big fan of them. And, and I'll say right off the bat, one of my very good friends owns his own company of these and, and I love and support him immensely, but I still very publicly advise against joining one of these programs online um, for a number of reasons, not least of which I'm not a big fan of building your house on someone else's lawn mm -hmm. for very obvious reasons. Um, one of these systems very recently during this whole coronavirus issue, one of the, they literally, uh, they, they crashed the whole system crashed. And, and I had a number of friends who were using that system and they, they lost their mind. Fortunately, it came back up within 48 hours. But these people had been asking me for years, what's my thoughts on it? What are my thoughts on it? And I've always said, don't build your house on someone else's lawn, make your own systems. But in their mind, it was easier to pay a monthly fee and then have everything already made for them. But the issue is once everything crashed, they saw very quickly, well, I can't even get in touch with my clients anymore. I don't, I can't email them. I can't get in touch with them. All of their programs are gone. Everything is, is gone. Like, so they literally lost everything. And thank God the system came back up. But not only that, when you sign up for one of these programs, you're giving that program complete and utter access to all of your clients. Now they have all of your clients' emails. They have access to every single person on there. So they could now be marketing to them just because you're using their service. So not only are you basing the success of your business on another business, what if they go out of business? What if something crashes and it fails? But now you have other competition directly within your own business, which it's, it's a very, it's, it's, it's not a very uh, stable and sturdy platform to do. For me, in terms of my online business, it's so simple and straightforward. I think a lot of people are surprised about it when they hear it. But my entire online coaching business system is built on Microsoft Word everything. Everything is done on Microsoft Word and everything is done via email. So from the moment that they request to join my online coaching program to the moment they sign on, everything is done via email. And then we, I send them all of their programs on Microsoft Word in a PDF. And then all of their check-ins are done via email. 
and that's it. And I save all of their stuff on my end in a Dropbox folder that goes directly from my computer into my Dropbox. And I've had, I've had every single client from 2011 until 2020 on my computer and in Dropbox. It's just all there. So God forbid, like I've had computers that have broken. I've bought a new computer within a couple of hours. I got my Dropbox back on. Boom. Everything was just uploaded to my computer again, went into my Gmail and was emailing clients again, no issues whatsoever. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if you're going to make your systems, then make sure that your systems are built on your end, not on someone else's end. Because and this, this holds true, by the way, for social media as well. If you think that you're going to build your entire business off of your Instagram, you're an idiot. Like, it is complete and utter nonsense to just assume that even if you get a massive Instagram following, that you're relying on their algorithm you're relying on, on what they have to offer. And I saw, I saw people, I saw this happen with Facebook years ago and it's going to happen with Instagram. It's already starting to happen, but it's going to happen seriously very, very soon. Mark my words with Insta, with Facebook, when it first started with the business pages, they were giving a lot of attention to business pages because they wanted those pages to grow. It was very smart. Once those pages grew, got a lot of audience members, then they started to decrease the organic reach and they started charging business pages to pay to get that same amount of reach, which is genius and smart. And they should because it's their business and you're using their platform for free and you don't deserve to get any reach because it's their platform. So sure, absolutely pay them in order to reach more people. I think it's very smart. Now who owns Instagram, Facebook, they're already doing the exact same thing. They built up a lot of people's pages to a large audience. They're going to reduce the organic reach and make you pay in order to get the same amount of reach that you used to. It's like, this is, this is the name of the game. It's social media is really just, it's a plat, it's an advertising platform. That's all it is. Wherever the attention is, that's where you can advertise. And that's what we're going to, we've already seen it on Facebook. We're going to see it on Instagram and we're going to see it elsewhere too. So this whole idea of building your, building your house on someone else's lawn, this is another reason why I'm a huge fan of having a great website and from your website, building a tremendous email list because no one owns your email list except you. And even if you're using Aweber or MailChimp or ClickFunnels, whatever it is, you can always download your email CSV, which you should to save it and have it on your back end just in case something happens. But the, no matter what happens, you own your website, you own your email list, you, that's your house, it's your lawn, you're stable there. Don't rely on someone else's business to keep your business safe. Isn't, and isn't this a time that that matters even, you know, I think it, the point is so powerful because look at what's happening, right? There's so many changes and some things might go, some things may stay, but if you're just depending on all these platforms that tomorrow could disappear or crash or whatever else, and all of a sudden you're pissed, but really, hey, like you should have protected yourself from that. That's exactly right. It's, it's, it's crazy because like a lot of people don't bring that up, but I'm like, I'm, see, I didn't, I didn't know that that's, that you're doing everything off of Word. And I love it because you don't, I mean, for everybody that's listening, right? How many people hit you up, Jordan, and go like, hey, uh, listen, man, this whole word thing, this is really back in the day. Can you put me on an app? I'm, <laughs> I'm, ass I'm assuming probably no one because it works. Um, and I was zero. Yeah, Literally yeah, zero I, people. It was crazy. I was talking to Farouja about this, that like there's a lot of people as, you know, you like we all think, myself included, right? We kind of uh, create our own white custom label app, haven't launched stuff. But like me personally, I still do like everything almost like, same thing, Word doc, Evernote, send it to a person. And, you know, he said, man, like when we started doing more tech, a lot of people were actually not using it nearly as much. Yep. That's you know, exactly I, right. I still do shit off PDFs. I don't know about you, but I'm like, yes, me too. 17 <laughs> logins, dude. Just give me the PDF. I want to look at the, you know, and 
and I think that we kind of get, I guess, swept away by sometimes not actually looking at what works, what people are still not just willing to, but prefer to do, and not just going like, oh, this is techie in the future, so we should just all be on this. You got to step back and, and, and really look at stuff, which is why I love that you're, you're, you're bringing up things that honestly, like I don't hear talked about enough or a lot, which is why this is so important. There's a number of things that on, on this episode, you mentioned that I guarantee, like for instance, from long form copy to, hey, make sure you got everything backed up and that you don't rely too heavily on this. Because I know from the outside in, people are looking and they're going, oh, Jordan built his whole business off of IG. I got to go on IG. I, I, I mean, and I hear it, like I hear, it, right? Like that's, that's the thought process. But if you're listening to this, you're like, no, that's not the case at all. If you think I built my business off Instagram, go back to my website and try and see how long it takes you to read how many articles I, I wrote since July, 2011. I have over 500 articles on my website, each article a bare minimum of 1500 words. If you think that's what built off my, my, my Instagram, then you're out of your fucking mind. Man, so you, would you, would, you would still go right now to, if you're coaching somebody, somebody's right in front of me, I'm a, I'm a newbie right now. And I'm like, Hey, Jordan, should I be writing more articles? Like you'd be like, yes. Bar none for a number of reasons. If you're a newbie, then you suck at coaching. And one of the best ways to get better at coaching is to study and to research and to learn. You're not going to get better for making Instagram posts about your own, about your own exercises, which you probably suck at anyway. It's like, I learned more from writing articles than I ever did from many, many other things because what was I, I'm not, when I'm going to write a long form article, 1500 to 2,500 words, you better believe I'm going to research the hell out of it and make sure that what I say is correct. So I'm researching Eric Cressy. I'm looking at, I'm researching uh, Dan John. I'm researching Pavel. I'm researching Mike Robertson. I'm researching Joel Jamieson. I'm looking at like PubMed. I'm looking at I'm, I'm Alan Aragon, all these people. I'm researching things to make sure I'm actually going to say the right thing. When you're, when you're writing a long form article, it's not just writing off the top of the dome. You're actually researching and learning and, and studying and making sure that you're doing it the right way. So if you, one of the best parts about writing long form articles is you become a better coach as a result of it. So absolutely, 100%, if someone said, what's the one thing I should do? Should I do Instagram? Should I do long form? Should I, long form articles. I don't care if it's Instagram. I don't care if it's email. I don't care if it's podcast. I don't care if it's YouTube. Start with long form articles. That's a bar none, I think, the best thing you could do. Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that, by the way, because for the first seven to eight years, I wrote a shit ton. And at the beginning, nobody picked up any of my stuff. It was just on my site. Uh, and then eventually, as obviously you get better because you write a lot, it would go on bigger sites and people ask me to do, you know, guest articles. But it'd take years. So that's the other thing. Um, and the other, like, so I, I wrote a, a nutrition article for our Vigor Grandpa page that was it started as this is going to be a really in-depth article on nutrition like curated you know information from all over the place it'll be three thousand words ended up being twenty three thousand like don't do that by the way right? <laughs> that's, that's like fucking which crazy you know what i mean but 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 my point to that being is and you know i had infographics in there and videos of, of full-blown seminars that i've done but it and it took me months to like you know i'd write it and back off and write it whatever but like just writing that I would say made me so much better at everything from understanding science to coaching, to be able to organize my points. You know, if I was talking to somebody face to face afterwards, it just, it just made me so much better at that topic. And just to give you an idea, like 23,000 words is about 120 word document pages. Um, <laughs> and you know, somebody was like, dude, you should just make this a book. I was like, well, shit, it's on the site, whatever. But my point 
to, to, to piggyback on your point is, is exactly that. Like, it's not just about the article. It's about how much better you'll become at your craft, at your skill, and how much better you'll be at communicating things. Because guess what? Like to write articles, you have to be a better communicator. And then what I used to do uh, was just people that I really look up to as far as writers go, I'd copy their format. So I'd put my own words, but I'd copy the way that they were wrote. So I would become better at writing in that style and did it over and over and over again. Uh, so I, I think there's more to it than just if, if somebody's listening, going like, oh, I, I got to write the articles. Like there's so much benefit to you as a coach writing the articles, even if only, you know, 10 people read the first one, right? It, it doesn't matter. It's made you a better coach. And it's going to, yes, down the line is going to build a lot of, uh, you know, you're going to get traffic because of it and be able to, you know, be more of an authority. But like, I highly encourage everybody to do same thing with, with video. When I shoot a, I just did a, a video on cardio. It's an hour and 10 minutes long. It probably took me 15 hours to like dissect, study it, draw it up on four different whiteboards, shoot it, send it to my video guy to edit and make some B-roll, whatever. Like probably, a, the, like I said, 15, 16 hour project. You better believe that like tomorrow, if you ask me about presenting on cardio in a simple way, I got it down because I just, you know, I spent so much time doing it. That's exactly right. That is, that's it. That's a hundred percent right. So we'll, 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 man, I could, I could talk to you for forever about this, but, um, which means dot, 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 we'll <laughs> definitely do another episode. Um, but man, this was great. And that's exactly why I didn't kind of want to just have these uh, g- generic questions. And, and, uh, like the, the last, the last part of what you dropped on, on online coaching, man, is, is absolute gold. And with that said, cause I know, like, I, I, I want to leave people to what are, what are some places that people can find out more about you, whether it's your, your inner circle, whether it's, uh, the, I would say, the coaching on building the online coaching or anything else that you want to share, man, pl- please let the listeners know. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're interested in fitness stuff, I have my, my inner circle, which is just sfinnercircle.com. Uh, and if you're interested more in the coaching side of things, I have uh, an online fitness business mentorship. So it's like online fitness business mentorship.com. Um, but that's basically, honestly, what I would really recommend is if you don't really know much about me, I, I wouldn't pay for anything that I have yet. I would go look at my YouTube content, go read my long form articles, go look at my, my social media and just like see if it jibes with you. And from there, if you have any questions, email me and I'm happy to chat. So awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much, Jordan. This was phenomenal. Definitely. We're going to definitely do this again. Um, to everybody that's listening, as always, I love and appreciate you guys. You could be anywhere, but you're here tuning into this. I hope you got a ton of nuggets. I mean, like I'm always learning, uh, when, when I do these shows, which is which, which, what I love, uh, and having such amazing guests as yourself. So thank you, my brother. Appreciate it. And we will see you actually hear you next time on a big life podcast. Peace out.